As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Each week we are going to take you behind the curtain into the world of football business and other sports across the globe. Alongside me today from The Athletic is football news reporter Matt Slater and senior editor Laura Williamson, who this morning published a piece explaining the extraordinary chain of events that saw one of the most powerful men in British sport talking himself out of several jobs on one extraordinary day. If you're not already a subscriber, I urge you to head to www.theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman, where you can sign up for just £1 a week to read Matt's piece in full. So the focus of today's podcast is, is the event that led to Greg Clark's resignation as FA chairman yesterday with Matt and Laura. But first of all, Matt, what was the actual point of yesterday, before we even get to Clark's comments, what was trying to be achieved by this meeting, the set of interviews? Right, well, good question, because it was, it was meant to be a business of sports type story. This was supposed to be a hearing about um, the ongoing dispute, really, between the Premier League and the rest of football as to whose responsibility it is to rescue football from the existential financial crisis it's being plunged into by the pandemic. So as we should explain some terms, the DCMS committee, it's the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Select Committee. It's one of dozens of, of, of panels of backbench MPs uh, whose job it is, is to scrutinise government ministers, departments, agencies, hold them to account, check that they're spending the money properly, and that does involve doing, you know, investigations into into relevant areas. And and DCMS over the last few years has been very good. Whilst it's a quite a small department in Whitehall terms, has a tiny budget and isn't taken particularly seriously by the rest of the cabinet. It does have quite cool things that normal people like, you know, the arts, football, uh, museums, that sort of thing. It does really well at generating headlines and. These hearings over the last few years have, have certainly filled the back pages. You know, I've been along to many of them. You know, you used to be able to go in person, obviously, and hopefully one day we, we can again. But but this one was like so much these days was, was watching on a live feed. Greg Clark was called uh, as head of the FA, as were uh, Richard Masters, the chief executive of the Premier League, 
and Rick Parry, the, the chairman of the EFL. And this, this one was supposed to be about, purely really about, why hasn't the Premier League and the EFL sorted out a rescue package for Leagues 1, 2 and the Championship. You know, what is going on? You know, we talked about this with you before, six months ago, around Project Restart, and there was an understanding that if the government gave the green light to football uh, resuming, along with racing and, and, and cricket and some other sports, but certainly, you know, going going early, being in that first batch and the government giving full support to that, the, the Premier League, as by far the richest organisation, would help the rest of the pyramid. Now, as we've discussed, as we've written, as everyone is aware, that just hasn't happened yet for lots of different reasons. And, and, the, and the MPs were armed with questions as to why. And the first bit, the first section of the hearing was Masters and Parry. And Masters started first with a sort of pre-written spiel about, well, look, here's what we're doing, and this is why we're great, and you know, this is this is where we're up to, and and they sort of jumped all over that. But he was prepared, he was you know, he was ready. It was tense with him. It was more as you'd expect from these meetings. He kind of stuck to the brief. The MPs, as so often happens, then tend to go off in tangents, and you kind of know you're winning. Then Parry kind of got away slightly, you know, more lightly, I think, because Masters had sort of borne the brunt of it. And it seemed to be sort of kind of dribbling away, drifting away after about an hour. I think most journalists thought we got our story, that maybe we are edging towards a rescue package. Then Clark is invited in to give sort of the overview, the national governing overview. You know, what have you been doing? A lot of that was around his involvement in Project Big Picture, another enormous story that we've covered, this sort of kind of all-encompassing plan to dramatically restructure English football and solve the kind of COVID problem. Very problematic because, of course, whilst there was a lot of good stuff in there, there was that enormous, you know, black mark around the power grab and the concentration of power around the big six. Clark's fingers were all over that. And he has spent the last few weeks fighting media stories and sniping, you know, what, what were you doing? Why were you so involved? Should you not have kept us informed? When did you walk away? At what bit did you, did you say, hold on a minute, I'm not going to go with that? And... Lots of people were wondering, I, you know, that's one of the reasons I was watching. How is he going to explain this? You know, how were the MPs going to press him on that? That didn't really happen. What we got into was sort of kind of any other business type questions. Well, talk to me about women's football. Talk to me about diversity. Talk to me about, you know, why gay male footballers aren't coming out. And he just went off on tangents. Just before I come on to Clark then, Laura, when you were were across this as well. I think lots of people listening to this will be actually quite interested, first of all, to know how Masters and Parry performed and whether there was... I mean, Matt sort of alluded to that there's a sense that they might be getting somewhere. But were the MPs quite sceptical as to what Masters and Parry had done so far? Yes, very much so. And particularly with Masters, he, he did get a bit of a grilling. Um, he's... <laughs> He sort of reminded me a bit of sort of Seb Coe in the way he sat there with his perfectly coiffured hair, who's, you know, Coe's no, Coe's no, uh, no stranger to these select committees either, we yeah. might add. But he's, like Coe, also quite a master politician in that he says a lot without actually saying very much. And I think, to be fair to him, was, was quite impressive in front of the grilling that he did get. And Parry, he very much knows his own mind. He sort of went in with more of a position of strength, I think, because he said quite clearly that the EFL need 250 million to um, see themselves through this crisis. And the government have said the Premier League needs to fund that 
um, that bailout. So um, it's a bit like over to you, Richard Masters, what are you going to do about it? As ever with these things, they didn't actually get anywhere. There was this weird sideshow where a Spurs fan MP started asking about the five substitutes rule. <laughs> and then they all wrapped it up in this really antiquated way of, right, we're going to write to you both every seven days until you've made a decision. Thank you. And it was like, here endeth the sermon. To be fair, uh, the Premier League came out of it as well as they could have expected. But yeah, we're edging closer, we think. But there is still no concrete deal on the table for how Leagues 1, 2 and the Championship are going to get out of the mess they find themselves in. If we do the deal bit now, what, what came across to me really clearly is that the Premier League made this offer about a month or so ago of 50 million to League 1 and 2. And that's 20 million in, in, in grants, 30 million in loans. And that hasn't really changed. What has changed is that they have given a little bit more on, look, if championship clubs are in genuine hardship, come talk to us. And they have also dropped the conditions, the strings that were attached to any help towards the, the championship in particular. Because don't forget, many in the Premier League, pretty much the lower half, rightly so perhaps, see championship clubs as potential rivals very potentially rivals very soon you know if you go down they come up that you are up against these guys why should i be underwriting their losses which is a line we heard many times from masters yesterday and they've also pointed out that there are owners in the championship who are pretty rich richer than many of the owners in the premier league so there is a sort of kind of look we all understand that league two and league one clubs are up against it just as we get it in the national league but championship clubs particularly when we know how much they spend, how much they overspend. So, you know, that's been the debate. Now, I think what came out very clear yesterday, and if anyone in the championship didn't realise this, they should realise this now, there is not much sympathy for them within government. The MPs kind of back the Premier League Masters point of view that they shouldn't be, the government certainly isn't going to come running to the rescue to help, to help the championship. And if anyone is really skint in the EFL right now. There's an offer there. The Premier League have said it a few times now, and they're saying there's no strings attached. So I think you should probably get on with it. And, and just on that, I mean, you see all of these committees, not just in uh, culture media, but uh, across the various government departments. And sometimes you think, well, why do these people have to justify themselves to, to a group of MPs sometimes? That's my own personal view at times. However, in this situation, Laura... I mean, it is relevant because the the sport is wanting public funds, so they have every right to ask the 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 men, and they are men running running these bodies exactly, you know, how much in order their house is. But at the same time, as you pointed out, some of the questions they asked were incredibly self indulgent. Oh, they are. It's, it's very much, you know, here's my 15 minutes of fame with, yes. uh, with, with the, world, you know, the world's media or the, certainly the UK media watching. But there is absolutely a, a valid point to, I mean, this particular hearing, I think anyway, in that, and it was more of the questions that Greg Clark ended up getting, but this actually does trickle down through the whole pyramid. And it's about, it is about community sport. That was the title of the hearing. It was about, you know, sport in the community, i.e., you know, EFL clubs we know are rooted in their communities and some of them are absolute beacons and are, do fantastic things. So it's that sort of, that sort of, I suppose, public facing aspect that this was supposed to dig down into. Um, but as ever, they get distracted by the bright lights and Premier League five substitutes rules. Um, 
as you are both watching this then, and we'll 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 come on to Clark next, but as you're both watching it, you see Masters and Parry, you're writing the story, Matt. Laura, you're his editor. Are, are you thinking with the the story we've got enough for a story here? Laura, do you want to ask that one? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was yeah, we did um we did a, a sort of quick news headline on basically they've been told to get their house in order, you know, get this deal over the line quickly. Which is very important, um, but perhaps wasn't the most wasn't the most thrilling. Um, but then, as Matt said, we were we were very intrigued to see what Greg Clark was going to come up with because he has been so quiet um, throughout the whole of this saga. Sort of, you know, we've we've heard the the FA's financial situation has plummeted. Um, you know, they they announced three hundred million losses and got rid of 100 people and he stayed very very quiet um all the all the talk about there was one statement after project big picture but um no sort of broadcast interviews we didn't actually hear he he wrote a letter which was published on the fa website but we didn't hear from him um so that was going to be that was always going to be very intriguing but not quite as um, intriguing as we it turned out to be. Both of you, because you've covered a wide range of sports and, and, and the political side of sport in particular. In situations like this, Matt, it, would it be the chairman of an organisation who would uh, speak quite regularly on the subjects that we've been talking about or would it be the chief exec of an organisation? I partly ask that because yeah. in discussions with the producer about doing this podcast today... Neither of us could remember what the name of the chief exec of the, F- of the uh, FA Mark is. Williams. Well, that's the, <laughs> but, so, but that so says really some good point. thing, I think. Yeah, it, do, it does. So there's a few things to unpack there. So, so to pick up on Laura's point, the FA have been quiet. They've got very distanced from the Cub game, and it's been. This is a sort of long-term story, but it's become really, really obvious now. Whilst the biggest conversation in British sport, in football, is the financial crisis that our clubs are facing. Now, the FA has its own headaches as well, of course, but the FA have become very inward-looking. They've become. They really have abdicated all kind of responsibility for the club game, and that has just jarred not just me and journalists, but the game have been looking to the national governing body. The Premier League is still called the FA Premier League. It has a golden share in the Premier League. It runs the pyramid. You know, it's it's just been absent. So there was a lot of expectation. It's time to talk. It's time to hear what you have to say. And when it became clear that Clark was involved in the project big picture conversations, you thought, well, okay, th- th- this is fine. This is uh, understandable that you would take part in something like this. But then when it all kind of came out and it leaked and it kind of didn't go well, Clark ran, ran from the scene. You know, he didn't have the courage and his convictions to say, yes, I was part of it. Of course I was part of it. I'm the chairman of the FA. Now, to answer your question about his role, Clark has always thought of himself as the man that bestrides organisations. So when he joined the FA, they had a very good chief exec, Martin Glenn, who was superb commercially. And if there are things to say about the FA at the moment, it's they've been well run within that sort of narrow focus they've they've sort of assumed for themselves for several years. And Glenn did that really well. He wasn't brilliant under the sort of bright media glare. And I think Clark one of his faults is that he thinks he is, or he, he genuinely seems to sort of think that he can go off the cuff and I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll handle the big picture stuff. So 
he has appeared at these DCMS committees. I've seen him appear about three or four times now, and they've all gone badly. He goes along as, you know, in a sort of ambassadorial role um, to UEFA and FIFA meetings. And, you know, he, he, he seems to enjoy that. What we have learned and what became crashingly obvious yesterday, he's just not very good at it. He's just not great at these tricky subjects, particularly when he just quite clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. That is the story that developed yesterday, that once again, Clark was putting his foot in his mouth when the, the shame of it is he has a decent story to tell on some of these issues. The FA under his watch has a pretty good diversity record in terms of actual actions. He, and he's not the only one, just keeps making, keeps scoring own goals. And it's, it's and, and yesterday was just about, it went about as badly as it could have gone. Just to jump in there, I watched it back again yesterday evening being very Did sad you? <laughs> Did no, you? No, I mean this is this is what lockdown does to you here we go um, but I was just I was just so struck by the number of times he said I talk to this person I talk mm. to this person I sit on this committee I've been in football for 25 years I I I I talk to who is he listening to clearly yeah. nobody yeah. and there was this this repetitive thing and maybe it struck with me because I'm a woman but me and Rick and Richard and Gary Hoffman the Premier League chairman you know this cosy little club and it was just it was just incessant and but just this repeating of I talk to and the other one that irked me was this and it should be a positive that this four out of ten he kept saying you know four out of ten of our of our board are female you know like well done me I've got I know I've got us to this point and it should be five and blah 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 but it was like well we've done this so I'm all right and actually no that's not you know if you're the FA chairman you know in theory you should be you know head of the organization that what it says is it does is protect the future, aim to protect the future of English football. And that's not reflective of me. That's not reflective of lots no. of people. Mm. I don't think it's reflective of most of us. No. To be honest with you, and, and the impression that people have of the FA... Now, and I think, actually, it's important for us all to make the distinction here. There are lots of very good people who work for the FA, who are oh, doing their best to modernise not only the FA, but modernise the game. And actually, yeah. quite a lot of the FA's diversity work has been sensational. But the impression, and I'm I'm 47 years old, so at least for, for over 30, 35 years of being aware of the FA, probably... It has always had the impression of committees and blazers mm. and old white men making decisions on what is a game for everybody. That has always been the impression that people have had of it in the main. Yeah. Whether you're male, female, white, black, gay or straight, as far as I can, the, the, the person on the street has often had that image of the FA. And that was what was interesting particularly about yesterday, you know, it finished and it was, the hearing finished on this sort of, wow, can't believe he's just said what he said. But then very quickly, it seemed to change to, he's going to go here, he's not going to survive this, which is actually a real positive thing. There were some very hard hitting statements came out that I'm sure we'll go on to talk about. That to me was a very significant day yesterday because he fell on the back of those comments that we decided, you know, on mass the media, the support he did not get from within the FA, that that was not acceptable. So actually, surely that is a huge positive that it, I mean, he went within hours. Okay, well, let's 
hear some of what Greg Clark said uh, in this committee meeting. His first mistake came after he was asked about the FA's recent work on diversity and inclusion. You know, if you look at top-level football, the Afro-Caribbean community is overrepresented versus the South Asian community. If you go to the IT department at the FA, there's a lot more South Asians than there are Afro-Caribbeans. They have different career interests. That was his first uh, statement on diversity. He then went on to say this, and I, I do have to give the warning to this, that some of the language in this clip is offensive. The, the views I've heard is, um, if I look at what happens to high-profile female footballers, high-profile coloured footballers, and the abuse they take on social media, not from the crowds, because, you know, you, you get misbehaviour in crowds, but largely people have bought a season ticket, they're going to behave because they will be banned for life if they're giving racist or homophobic abuse. But social media is a free-for-all. Mr Clark, I mean, diversity is not really the issue, is it? Football is diverse. It's inclusion that's the issue. And when you said something earlier on, I think I heard you refer to coloured people earlier on. Isn't, if, if that's the case, would you want to withdraw that language? Because isn't that exactly the sort of language that means that inclusion is not a reality, even though football is very diverse and has many people within it, from ethnic minority backgrounds and also people who are gay? Let me say three things. Firstly, if well, I What about one thing? Are, are you, are, if you did say that, no. would, you, would you be... I'm, I'm, I'm that, that only takes one thing. It doesn't require three things, really. Well, well if, you, if you please allow me to respond. One, if I said it, I deeply apologise for it. Secondly, I am a product of having worked overseas. I worked in the USA for many years where I was required to use the term people of colour and sometimes, because that was the product of their diversity legislation and positive discrimination format, sometimes I trip over my words. And I All do right, Mr Scott, you've, 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 you've apologised. OK, thank you. That was Greg Clark yesterday. Matt and Laura are still with us. Sanjay Bandari, chair of Kick It Out, with us as well. You've had a busier 24 hours than you would have wished for, I'm guessing, Sanjay. I was in the middle of a spreadsheet and I haven't got back to it yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the seriousness of this can cannot be uh, underestimated, really. And you, in our production meeting just before you came on, and I was talking to our producer, and I said, "So, do you have the IT clip? And then do you have the clip with which he had to apologise for? And then do you have the uh, the gay clip where he where he talked about being gay being a lifestyle?" Oh, and then do you have the clip about um, uh, girls not being not liking a, a football being kicked harder than? I mean, it is gobsmacking to have to ask your producer if he has all of those clips from one interview that the head of the FA was doing. Yeah, I mean, I was I was watching something else yesterday when I saw Dan Snow describe a different issue as um, as someone putting a hand grenade down their underpants. Uh, and and uh, this was a bit like, well, I put one down. Well, I might as well stick another three down there um, because it was it was one one after the other. And you know, I was I was getting this yesterday with my nephew texting me saying, "Have you seen what what Greg said? Uh, see the first thing." And said, "Oh right, okay, that might be a slip of the tongue." And then you know, number two, number three, and number four come along, and then that's that's not slip of the tongue. Then it's no longer about 
language per se. It's not about language in itself. It's about the language revealing the inner attitude and the intent. It's not content, it's intent. And that's the problem here. And we need to make sure that this debate doesn't go into, doesn't stray into, as it's already started, that he lost his role because of a use of an outdated piece of terminology. That can happen to anyone for a particular generation. You know, we're all only one slip of the tongue away from being cancelled. That that can happen to any of us. We can make a mistake. It's the compound effect of all three or four comments and the lazy stereotypes that they reflect. And then I think it's legitimate to ask the question, is this person with this attitude the right person to lead uh, our national game? That's a very fair point, isn't it? I mean, other people may have had a slip of the tongue in, in, in the past. In fact, actually, I think when I heard you on Five Live yesterday with Nahal, Benedict Cumberbatch in the past has, has said something similar on the the last clip that we played and has not been as is the the current terminology cancelled it's the fact that it was all bundled up in one interview yeah and it's about the intent and the attitude and of course different people that are held to different standards as a leader you're held to a higher standard as the leader of our national game which in our country in an increasingly secular society is almost like our national religion you are held to an even higher standard. And when belonging, creating a game where everyone feels they belong, equality and inclusion are tent poles of your strategy, you expect that person to know, live, feel and breathe this intimately. And what those comments revealed was that he didn't. I think this is a question for all of us. Myself and Laura have touched on it a little bit, but you go first, Sanjay, and then I'll bring Matt in, is how much you separate, how much it's possible to separate the individual from the organisation. And, of course, you do receive funding, your organisation, from the FA. You have to start by separating from the organisation, but you ask the questions about all of them. So I think there's Greg, there's the board, there's the FA Council, and then there's the FA Executive more generally, right? Those are, and then there's English football. And I think you have to look at the each of those kind of separately. Greg, I think we've discussed, and it's, it's clear that revelation of the attitude is one that isn't just isn't, isn't appropriate for a leader of the English game. My own experience of the executive and working on things like the leadership code over the last three or four months with Mark Bullingham, Paul Elliott and lots of people, it's been really positive and I think the, the code itself is a really positive step and could be potentially transformative of English football. I think the board still needs some representation of black former players and the council is just an antiquated structure and the governance of the FA needs to change. That does not reflect modern society. I used to have seats at Wembley next to the Royal Box <laughs> in Club Wembley and I would go to every England game, every club match there and I'd never see the Blazers except for FA Cup final day and then it would be full. They just turn up once a season. And as actually before you joined, that challenge has been there for 30 years, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Matt? Yeah, I, I completely agree with what Sanjay's saying. I mean, obviously, I, I'm a middle-aged white bloke, so I'm always so careful when I, when, I, when I have to comment on these things. Whilst watching this live, and like Laura, I've watched it a few times since, the first comment, the one that's been picked up by most people, and the one that I'm getting the most reaction 
to on social media and in, from my story is, are we really sacking a guy now for a slip? And I have sympathy with that because I hear people older than me sometimes use that phrase and it it can be confusing and we do make mistakes. I didn't like his apology. I didn't. Th I think his apology was a bit of a non-apology. It was a, unfortunately a little bit typical of the man that he, he immediately tried to make an excuse that didn't quite wash for me about this sort of US angle. I didn't really buy that. It was his comment that about the IT department that I am still really troubled by. And I think that was probably, possibly, we'll all have different views, but for me, it was the worst. The line of questioning was so innocuous. I think in some ways he relaxed. He was expecting um, some, a real grilling on Project Big Picture. It didn't really come. And I think he just started chewing the fat, speaking off the cuff. I've got opinions on everything. I'll be fine. And I do not understand the point he was trying to make. I do not know where he was going with this point about representation and, and, and why that, why he thought saying that there are South Asians in the IT department, that's a career interest. Black people aren't interested in that. Maybe South Asians don't want to play football. I mean, what? Stop talking. You don't know what you're, you're way off your, your areas of expertise here. Stop. And he didn't, there was no, he wasn't stumbling. He wasn't reaching for words like I am now. He was speaking comfortably. I found that really alarming. And Sanjay, what I wanted to ask you was, you clearly took some time. I know you were buried in a spreadsheet, but you clearly took some time <laughs> to think about stuff because the, the statements started pouring in. And I know that we were bombarding you because you seem the obvious guys, kick it out, footballs, inclusion and diversity charity. But I wondered how you would play it because you are funded by the FA. But I thought when you were that hard, you were clearly echoing what you were hearing. And I, for me, it seemed, oh my, he's in, he's in real trouble. He's not writing this one out. He could go because Kick It Out, who are so in tune on this topic, are saying that. Yeah, look, there's, at the end of this, there's also a human being who has lost a role that probably meant a lot to him. And so... And I'm conscious of the impact of what we say. And so, yes, we were being careful to think that through. But it, 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 like I say, if it had been one comment, you, you, you might be able to put that down to a slip of the tongue and if the apology were were convincing. But like you say, the, the, even the apology for the people, of, when he referred to people of colour and the reason why he used that term, that he was requested to use it, that it was a product of legislation and positive discrimination formats in the US. I mean, it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. And so I think when we put all of that together, I don't think we had a choice but to say what we said because we were reflecting, I think we were reflecting the modern FA and what the FA wants to be. And we were reflecting that better than he was in front of DCMS. And on these comments, I mean, isn't there also, Laura, here, it's about, okay, if he said that in public, then what is happening on committees and councils that we that we are not party to what they're saying? And so, so an example, right? All this debate at the moment about elite academies and boys being able to train and girls not being able to train. So I'm looking at this with two sporty daughters both of whom have had most of their sports shut down, not necessarily in football, but I'm thinking, 
Well, hang on a minute. If you're the chairman of the FA and you think lots of girls don't like having a ball kicked hard of them, is that spilling over into decisions? Oh, it doesn't matter if the girls don't do the sport because they're a bit afraid of the ball hitting them. And that's the perception that can be created by just one comment. Exactly. It's that this guy was the figurehead of this organisation and and therefore does he represent me? I've got a daughter too in five years when she's playing football or whatever will he represent her no no I don't think he would have done actually there was a it was a crushingly awful exchange where the chair Julian Knight said you have to watch every single word that comes out of your mouth don't you and Greg Clark said yes you do very earnestly but he's got previous for this as well there's a previous committee dealing with the, the fallout from Mark Sampson leaving the the FA in which you know, he referred to racism as fluff. No, this isn't the first time. So this is, as Sanjay was saying, this is about, this is a wider picture here. And is he reflective of what we want the FA to be? No, he wasn't. And that's why he had to go. What do you want the FA to be? And maybe this is the crux of the argument going Mm. forward now. And this is for all of us to think about and answer. What, Starting with you, Laura, then, what do you want the FA to be going into the 2020s? I think the first step is to make it reflective of the the people it's supposed to serve. And it's not at the moment. You know, there are good people there doing great things. I think I think of Sue Campbell joining from UK Sport and, and what she's trying to do on the women's side of the game. People like her, I want her voice to be heard. I'd like there to be better representation of former black players at the very top level, not in a separate inclusion diversity committee, but on the board making decisions. And ideally, you know, in, without being naive, I, I want that to I want that to filter down so that there's somebody in that room saying, no, you can't shut elite girls academies, uh, but not the boys. You just can't do that. Do you not understand how this plays out? Or, you know, with the FA Cup, it was it was understandable why it carried on um, the men's competition because there are only 10 non-elite teams in there, etc. But but hang on, you've just cancelled the women's equivalent. Yes. Think how this plays out, people. You know, r- read the room. But the problem is there's no, there isn't a diverse enough collection of people in the room at the point, which at the moment, which is why the former chairman can talk about um, South Asians in the IT department as they, you know, as other. And that's just not good enough. Sanjay, what do you want the FA to be? So I want the FA to reflect the values of, modern society and to keep good on its promise so its promise is to create a game for all and is it at the moment truly a game for all and I know that that's its aspiration as an organization and so I think this next hire of the the new chair this is a fantastic opportunity to set that tone I think my experience of working with the people I work with has been hugely positive I've enjoyed working with them I think as Laura said you know a lot of good people doing good things Sue Campbell is one of those people and I've spent some time with her and I think she's she's great at what she does. What we need is that modern leadership to take it into the next level. And and actually, of course, when we look for that leader, they're going to have to deal with a number of different things. There is uh, creating a game that, for, for everyone and driving change across the game and the leadership diversity code will be a start in that. There's taking your own medicine yourself by doing the same inside the FA across the executive and below and creating career paths. There's 
Then some constitutional stuff around the board that we've talked about already, and is that representative? And then the council, this antiquated structure. But then also that new leader has to deal with the other big issues facing the game in the next few years, which is you know the financial structure of the game, the the, the sharing of money across the leagues, and then hopefully, more positively, do something like bidding for a World Cup. Uh, because whoever is leading, whoever is the next chair of this organisation is hopefully going to be leading us into that as well. And so it has to have those relationships or the ability to build those relationships to to get that over the line. It's interesting you mentioned the World Cup bid because it, in Matt's article, you know, there's a, there's a discussion about the, some of the good stuff that, that Greg Clark has done. A lot of it seems to be on the international stage, whether it be Euro fixtures being held here, being on a committee to reform the Champions League after 2020, and I, I wonder whether from your experiences within the FA that at that top level boardroom level corridors of power the standing on the international stage and being on committees and you know all all the status that comes with that matters more than looking after all of us who want to play the game and be involved in the game and watch the game I probably don't have quite as close enough a knowledge of that board I sit on an inclusion advisory board so I'm a, I'm a kind of level below and I've had a couple of meetings with Greg and I've, I've seen him in action and been in a couple of board meetings but I, I probably don't have that knowledge of all of the people around that table and you you know frankly Matt and Laura as journalists you might have a better insight of that for the, than, than I would Matt? It's clearly a very important part of the FA role and it's I think something that Clark really personally enjoys um, he was made FIFA vice president uh, in March 2019 the British associations for historic reasons that we never stop banging on about get to have a, a FIFA vice president which also then gets you a seat on the UEFA executive committee and kind of gets you into committees and and whilst we should probably sort of said this at the outset that being FA chairman it's very much a sort of kind of part-time ambassadorial role. It's a, it's a non-salaried role. They get expenses, but, you know, he's not making money. He's, he had a successful business career. He didn't do this for the cash. The FIFA role, however, is a very lucrative position, and he's been doing that for sort of 20 months or so, and he's going to have to give that up now. That's that's worth 250000 dollars a year with nice expenses when you go on these trips which obviously we're not doing anymore but he was very much looking forward to so one of the things that you know surprised me and continues to surprise me is in his statement about quitting he talks about well i've been thinking about this for anyway well nobody i spoke to yesterday had heard that and no one was really buying that either that he's been considering his position mainly because they know how much he's enjoyed being a fifa vice president and ex-co member and that came across in yesterday's hearing he he was reveling in it he talked about you know how important he is and how many committees he sits on and how his reputation within the game is fine one thing that we haven't really addressed yet is the horror show disaster class was it the sunsets jurassic clark i quite like that one that that element of it was right we've we've addressed that i don't think i think he was always going to struggle to get over four you know, punches in the face. But he was politically weak because of his involvement in Project Big Picture. He spent the last three or four weeks desperately ringing around to say, you know, guys, you know, this is what I was doing and you might read stuff in the papers. It wasn't really like that. Well, a picture has been forming that he was centrally involved. He had an active role in that and he hasn't been entirely straight about how involved he was in those secret conversations with Liverpool, Manchester United, Rick Parry and, and others about this radical restructuring and some of the ideas that he himself was championing at Premier League 2. We have too many professional teams, B teams, etc. He was involved 
I have been told that by several sources. He didn't really walk away. If he did walk away, he didn't tell the others. So he was weak coming into yesterday's meeting. And when he called around for support yesterday afternoon, when he saw the statements and he saw the, what was going on in social media, he didn't get the backing. And I'm being told that in fact, the, the board was already, the, the senior non-executive on the FA board, um, Stacey Cartwright, who's come from the, uh, the, um, the house, uh, sorry, from Harvey Nichols Group, fantastic career in business. Yeah, she's the senior non-executive there, was already conducting an informal investigation really about what Greg Clark was doing, what he'd said, how he'd explained the Project Big Picture story. So he was weak. He was weak. And when you have burnt political capital in that way, the support isn't there. Was there anything wrong with him being involved in, in, in Project Big Picture? And, and also, as your article today suggests, you know, he was encouraging everybody involved to to come up with big ideas, big thoughts, don't rule anything out. Any business... If they're wanting to improve or restructure or sort themselves out financially, would look at any opportunity and they, and encourage a whole variety of ideas. What was the problem really with him being involved in that and encouraging? Um, my God, I nearly said out of the box thinking, but do you know? Do you know <laughs> God, I really, really have been listening to too many high performance podcasts, right? But you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, and I completely agree with you. I, I personally don't have a problem with his involvement in it. What I have a problem with is how when it all went wrong, his distancing of him, right. you know, un unlike Rick Parry, who, you know, clearly 100% bought into Project Big Picture. And I think it is fair to say that Greg Clark had issues with the uh, stuff around the voting rights for the big six and, and didn't agree with everything. But, but I am led to believe, and I've seen evidence that he was in it from the beginning, in it to the end. You know, he was, he was a party to those conversations. What, the difference between, let's say, Parry, who, who, when it was leaked to the papers of the Telegraph that weekend, went, OK, fine, I'll give you an interview and I'm going to own this and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to defend it. Clark went the other way. That, to me, was poor. I think if you'd have been honest straight away about, guys, I am the chairman of the national governing body. I have an obligation, a duty to listen to ideas. Yes, I went along. Yes, I took part. Let's use this crisis as the opportunity. Let's let's kickstart. Let's feed this into the strategic review that the Premier League is now doing. I personally, other people might have criticised and said, well, "Why on earth are you doing private talks?" And, and you know, why were you why were you even considering letting the big six control the future? Fine, fine, we can have that debate, but that's not what he did. He ran away. If we look at his replacement, and Sanjay, you've already explained the kind of candidate I think that you would like to replace Greg Clark. How did the FA go about their recruitment process for the chair in your opinion would you as an organization be involved in that i would expect like any major organization what they'll do is they'll probably start with a, a bit of a beauty parade of uh, established search consultants and they will hopefully get some other search consultants in other than the usual suspects of big practices that quite often are not very diverse themselves uh, they will choose one and then they'll have a process and, uh, you know, they'll put adverts out and they will, you know, go through a, a formal process with job spec and role requirements and the person requirements for the people that they're after. What I'd, what I'd certainly like to see is a, 
is a, a conscious effort to broaden that pool of people that they would go after and, and, and not maybe use these, the same old people for the same old things, maybe use more than one consultant to help them with the search. And I mean, I'm, I'm not anticipating that we would be involved. Look, I'm very happy to help anyone if they uh, if if they feel they want any help with that process and I'd, I'd i'd happily help but it's not something i would expect to be involved in if they were to get somebody laura that was considered to be not basically white male and in their 60s or late 50s or, or whatever it may be if they brought in someone who they thought wanted to be a reformist and change the fa how easy would that be for them? <laughs> oh, very, very difficult, given the, especially the makeup of the FA Council. But if they were backed by a strong, a strong board, it would be possible. It's a hell of a job to take on. But Sanjay is absolutely right. It, it's, you've, they've just got to talk to different people rather than the same old names, um, because you've got a relatively inexperienced chief executive there, but somebody who will deal with the financial and commercial side of it so this this has got to be somebody who's in tune with football and also the direction of travel that we want football to go but also somebody who's capable of shaking hands at fifa and uefa meetings it's a very very big job and um a very big task to take on absolutely because matt we we have had people go into the fa before with the idea of reforming it and they've walked away frustrated oh absolutely i mean look i was just looking back at his predecessors i mean greg dyke very high high profile successful guy ran out of steam he just tried to reform mm. got frustrated david treesman going further back he came unstuck you know again sort of wrapped up in a world cup bid and problems with the media david bernstein was a sort of you know more softly softly character understated you could argue that he kind of he got out got out before it before it ruined him it's a hard job no one is underestimating how difficult it is to be the the figurehead of english football but at the same time not just having one hand tied behind your back because 30 odd years ago the fa abdicated responsibility of the professional game and the power resides with the premier league and the clubs and we ask and expect the FA to do things that is simply beyond them, for no fault of their own, certainly of, of the current lot anyway. You know, we expect them to to, to solve the, the rubbish pitches that our kids play on, to uh, magically uh, improve diversity across British sport, to win us uh, the right to stage a World Cup. Oh, and also to win a World Cup. So um, <laughs> that's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty big ask. You know, good, good luck with that so I do have sympathy I wish them well with their job search I do hope and I expect that they will go further than just thinking of recently retired um, uh, black players or sort of you know women that, that like football there is a job to be done there and there are good candidates out there let's hope they choose the right one and just one on the interim chair by the way we should mention who is who is sort of holding the fort really in between Clark going and whoever the new person to be appointed will be. It's Peter McCormick who is a sort of long-standing member of the board. Um, he's the he's a, he's a former Premier League uh, chairman. He sits on dozens of boards, most of them I'd never heard of. Uh, he's a lawyer, former Leeds United director, prominent sports lawyer. He has defended uh, people like Luis Suarez um, when he was accused of racially abusing 
Patrice Evra, um, and um, he presided over, you know, the investigation into Richard Scudamore around his sexist emails. So he, he's he's a guy that has has had a profile in the past. I'd say in recent years he has been low profile. I don't think he wants the job on a permanent basis. I think he is the quintessential safe pair of hands. Um, and we'll do a reasonable, we'll do a good job at that. Let's see, let's see who we come up with in terms of a full-term, full-time candidate. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you all. Sanjay, thank you. Are you going to go back to your spreadsheet now? Uh, probably about an hour. I might have a bit of a break. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming on. You're always welcome. Thank, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you. Sanjay Bandari, Chair of Kick It Out. Matt, Laura, thank you. We will talk soon. No worries. No worries. Good stuff. Thanks for listening. I'm back with David Ornstein on Monday, uh, and then you can look out for another Business of Sport podcast that will drop on this feed on Thursday. Bye. Bye.